0: Well, this morning I'm very excited. We're going to begin a brand new series entitled Three Questions. And today what we're going to do over the next few weeks is uh, we're going to look at the first three questions actually asked in the Bible. Uh, And all three of those questions come out of Genesis chapter 3. The first question is asked by Satan. The second two questions are asked by God. And we're going to see the significance of these three questions over the next three weeks. And we're going to recognize that how we answer these questions questions not only determines our life, but it ultimately determines our eternity, amen? And so we're going to dive right into Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 1. The Bible says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, here's the first question, did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it, for if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Look at that first point on your outline. The first question in the Bible is this, did God really... Say, and What I want you to see about this first question is this first question is really a demonic attack against the authority of the Word of God. It is a demonic attack against the authority of the Word of God. Satan comes into a perfect environment where Adam and Eve are living in a world without sin, and there the first thing that Satan does is begins to question the authority of the Word of God. Did God really say? Look at that next point. Why is that important? It's important because Satan knows something. Satan knows that if he can cast a shadow of doubt over the authority of the Word of God, then he can deceive us into believing his lies. Let me say it like this. The first step into believing a lie is that you begin to doubt or question the truth. The first step to believing a lie is that you begin to doubt or question the truth. And Satan understands that if he can cast a shadow of doubt over the authority of the Word of God, then he can begin to convince us and literally deceive us into believing the lies of the enemy. Now look at that next part. And if he can get, and if he can get us to follow, I want, I think, or I feel over, God says, then we lose. John 10, 10, many of you know it. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan's strategy is really simple. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing that God has planned for your life. And Satan comes in and uses a question, did God really say? And all of a sudden, he begins to cast a shadow of doubt over the authority of the Word of God because he understands, again, that's the first step. The first step to believing a lie is that you begin to doubt the truth. And then he recognizes something. Satan recognizes that if he can convince us into believing a lie and deceive us into following the scheme of the enemy, then we'll begin to follow after I want, I think, or I feel. Now let me just say real quick, I want to pause for just a minute. There's nothing wrong really with what you want. By the way, God actually gave you a will. God gave you the capacity to want things. And there's nothing wrong with what you think. God actually gave you a brain. Amen? Aren't you all glad about that? God gave you intelligence. God gave you the ability to reason and process and make uh, uh, accurate thoughts and decisions. And there's really nothing wrong with even what you feel because God gave you emotions. God gave us the ability to feel the things that we feel. But here's the problem. When what I want and what I think and what I feel contradicts what God says then it becomes sin. And not only does it become sin, but it becomes a trap of deception that Satan uses to destroy our lives. When what I want and what I think and what I feel contradicts what God says, my wants, my feelings, and my thoughts become a trap of deception that lead me to destruction. Let's just think about some of the people that we know. Don't look at your neighbor right now, but just think for just a second, right? We have all seen people make decisions, horrible, horrible, horrible decisions based on, well, I just want to be happy. Well, I think God would understand. Well, I just feel like this is the right thing for me to do. Haven't we all seen people's lives be devastated and destroyed when they begin to make decisions based on I want, I think, and I feel? Because when what I want and what I think and what I feel contradicts the Word of God, it becomes sin. And it becomes a snare and a trap of the enemy that leads me away from what God has purposed and planned for my life. So look at this next point. I want you to see this. So God's Word is truth. How many of y'all know that today? God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth, and it is literally the final authority for our lives. God who gives life sets the standard for life and we will all stand before God to answer for how we lived our lives. God's Word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said it like this. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. This Bible's true, amen? The Word of God is truth. Now look what John or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says. Paul said this, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Why? Because the Bible is the standard. Think about it for just a second. God who created life gets to set the standard for life. The Creator of life sets the standard for life, and God has set a standard for what is right and what is wrong. And the Apostle Paul said that all Scripture is given by God, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is intended to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong. Why? Because there is a right way and there is a wrong way to live your life. And it is the standard and the authority of the Word of God that defines what is right and what is wrong. Because if there is no standard, then guess what? There's no right and there's no wrong. But the moment there's a standard, all of a sudden there is a right way and there is a wrong way to live your life. How many of you recognize in the mathematical world we got some real simple standards, right? Twelve inches is what? One foot. So, twelve inches and a twelve and a quarter inches is not one foot, right? Thirteen inches is not a foot, eleven inches is not a foot, eleven and five-eighths is not a foot. Twelve inches is a foot, and anything that is not twelve inches is not a foot. Now we have a standard. And all of a sudden, we can begin to accurately measure things, and we can begin to process life because there is a standard. Guess what? Now we have a standard, guys. The God that created us has set a standard for life. Why? Because God knows what best works to promote life. The God that gave us life has set a standard that actually gives us life. Life. God did not set a standard of right and wrong because He wants to keep us from having fun. God set a standard of right and wrong because He wants to give us life, and life more abundant. And He knows that every time we live our lives in contradiction to His authority, we rob ourselves of the life and the blessing and the joy and the eternity that He intended to give us. So look with me in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Now, we understand here this word definition is Jesus. Jesus is a living word. He's given us the written word, and the Holy Spirit quickens God's word to our heart, amen, so that we can understand it. And through the word of God, the Bible says, everything was created. Look at verse 4. And the word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone, and the light shines. In the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So, the God who gives us life sets the standard for life. Why? Because He wants to continue to give us life. He wants us to walk in the fullness of life that He has for us. But not only does He give us life, not only does He set the standard for life, but I want you to look at that last part. But one day, if you believe the Bible, we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. Whether I'm a Christian, or whether I'm not a Christian, we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. Look at Revelations 20, it says, and then the devil who had deceived them, what did he do? He deceived them. That's what he does, amen? The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky, fled from His presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. So let me ask you a very intelligent question today, because y'all are smart people. If the God who created life and the God who sets the standard for life is the God who is one day going to judge us for how we live our lives, then what do you think God's standard for judgment is going to be? Is God going to judge you based on what you wanted or what you thought or what you felt? Or is God going to judge me and you and every other person based on the standard of His Word? This is the standard by which God is going to measure our lives. It is His Word that defines what is right and what is wrong. Now, when you really begin to wrap your mind around that, that's a sobering thought. Because we live in a world that says, if it feels good, do it. And if you think it's right for you, it doesn't have to be right for me. As long as it's right for you, you can go ahead and do it. But the reality is is that every person one day is going to stand before God and give an account for how we lived our lives, and the standard of judgment is not going to be my opinion, my thoughts, my will, or my uh, ideas. It's going to be God's Word. Amen? So, look at that next point. So, every generation must answer the question... Did God really say? Did God really say? And how we answer that question literally determines everything. Whether we're blessed or whether we're cursed, whether we have life or whether we have death, whether we go to heaven or whether we spend eternity in hell, everything is going to be based on how you answer this question, did God really say? And so this morning what we want to do is we want to tackle some of the issues that our generation is facing. Because we are living in a world, and every generation has to answer this question, and every generation is assaulted by the attack of the enemy that wants to question the authority of the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to kind of hit some hot topics, okay? We're going to hit some very critical things that are facing our generation, and we're going to find out, what did God really say? So look at that next point. Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? And that homosexuality, fornication, and adultery is sin? Did God really say that? Well, we're going to look at the Scripture, and we're going to find out what He said. And let me just say this to you today. It grieves my heart that we have so many public Christian figures that refuse to call sin, sin. It grieves my heart, and let me tell you why it grieves my heart. It doesn't grieve my heart because I want people to be condemned. No, God is not in the condemning business, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to wrap this whole thing up today. I believe you're going to get a great insight before we walk out of this room here today. God's not in the business of condemning people. God's in the business of saving people. But it grieves my heart when public Christian figures will not call sin, sin. Why? Because the Bible says it is the truth that sets people free. And until you're confronted with truth, you stay bound in the lie of deception that ultimately is stealing, killing, and destroying every good thing that God has for you. So did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Well, let's read the Bible. Matthew 19, Jesus is speaking. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record from the beginning that God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother. Let's just stop there for a second. He didn't say why a man leaves his father and his father. When a man leaves his mother and his mother. He didn't say because Billy's got two moms or Jeffrey's got two dads. He said when a man leaves his father and his mother, he shall be joined to his wife. He shall be joined to his wife wife, and the two are united in one, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Absolutely, God says that marriage is between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman. It's between a man and a woman, because think about this for just a second. The first commandment that God gave Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply, And how many of you understand that a man with a man or a woman with a woman without outside interjection or intervention cannot reproduce? Man with man and woman with woman cannot reproduce. Why? Because God's original plan, God's standard for what is right and life-giving. Why is this important? Because God wants to give people life. Homosexuality, fornication, adultery robs you of the life that God wants to give you. God doesn't call it sin because He doesn't want you to experiment. God calls it sin because He knows that the experimentation of sin brings death and destruction and chaos into people's lives. And ultimately, it robs people of the eternal joy of what it means to have a right relationship with God. Leviticus 18, 22 says, Do not practice homosexuality, for having sex with another man as with a woman is a detestable sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Look at this, this is an awesome verse. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, the Apostle Paul is being really clear. He says, Okay, guys, you need to understand the unrighteous aren't going to heaven. And then he says, And do not be deceived. Why? Because there was a strategy of the enemy even in Paul's day where he was trying to question the authority of the Word of God. There was this philosophy that says you can live any way you want to live, do anything you want to do, and you can still be right with God. How many of you how many of you are married in here today? How many of you understand as a married person you can't do anything you want to do and live any way you want to live and still be right with your spouse? You can't do it. Some things will get you killed. <laughs> Amen. And you can't live any way you want to live and be right with God. Because there's a standard for life and living that He calls us to. And He says, Do not be deceived. And then He identifies what unrighteous living looks like. Look what He says He says, Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. He says this is unrighteous living. And it's sin. Why is it sin? It's not sin, again, because God's trying to keep you from having fun or following your feelings. It is sin because it robs you. It robs you of the life of God that Jesus Christ died to give you. It disconnects you. Let's talk about fornication for just a second. What's fornication? Fornication is sex outside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage. And we have an epidemic of fornication in our world today. We want to get caught up talking about homosexuality, I'm just going to tell you right now, fornication tops it by about a hundred times. We got people on every corner and almost in every church and in every city across the land crossing the line of fornication, living a lifestyle of sexual immorality. And we want to say it's okay and God understands. No, it's not. No, He doesn't. No, it's not. And no, He doesn't. Why is it sin? It's sin because it robs you. Statistically speaking, being sexually active before marriage doesn't increase your marriage ability traits, it actually diminishes it. The more sexual promiscuity, or well, that's not even the right word, I don't know what this word is, somebody say it. That's the right word, thank you God. The more sexually immoral a person lives before they get married, it undermines their ability to commit to a lasting relationship. And now they have all kinds of baggage and all kinds of hurt and all kinds of pain and all kinds of issues that they have to work through in order to cultivate a healthy, godly relationship of intimacy with one person. Because it doesn't cultivate healthy relationships, it actually undermines them. And that's statistically proven by our world. The world's finally catching up with God, amen? Homosexuality, fornication, adultery, they are all sin. And look at verse 11, I love this verse. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's the good news of the gospel. God forgives, God redeems, God rescues, God delivers, God washes, God makes us new. You can come out and you can enter in to the good things that God has for you because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to continue in sin, you can be free from sin, and you can walk in victory over the carnal pleasures and lusts of your life. Amen? And you can enter in to the good things that God has for you. Let's look at that next point. Did God really say that an unborn baby is a human being and not a choice? Did God really say that an unborn baby is a human being and not a choice? Psalms 139, David said this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's wound. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I knew it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the wound. You saw me before I was born. David said, God, you formed me, you fashioned me, you knit me together inside my mother's womb. You saw me before I was ever born. But Jeremiah even takes it a little step further. Look what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5. The Lord gave me this message, the Lord gave me this message, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born. I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's wound, I knew you. You were spirit before you were flesh. And God said, I knew you before I even formed you. And after I formed you in your mother's wound, I anointed you and set you apart to be a prophet to the nations." Abortion only kills life, it kills the anointing of God that He puts upon a person even before they're ever born. The Apostle Paul echoed the same thing, Galatians 5, 15. He says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Before I was born, in my mother's womb, God chose me. God called me. Let me just say it to you today. Before you were born, God chose you. God knew you. God called you. Your life matters. Look what Psalms 127 says. It says this. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. Did God really say that an unborn baby is a human life? Absolutely. And I'm so proud. Let me just say, I'm so proud of the state of Alabama for taking the hardest, firmest stand against abortion and declaring that unborn life is still life. Amen? Unborn life is still life. And let me tell you what I know. We have ministered to a lot of women that have had abortions. And God doesn't hate people that have had abortions. God loves people. That have had abortions. God cares about you. But I can tell you this, as Kelly and I have ministered to a lot of women, one of the things I can tell you, 10 years after an abortion, I've never met a woman that was still rejoicing and thankful and glad that she had an abortion. I've never met one. I've never met one woman 10 years after her abortion that was excited that she had abortion. As a matter of fact, most of the time when we meet them, we're having to minister the grace and the healing of God because their heart is torn up on the inside because they know that they know that they know that they killed their baby. And they've been carrying that guilt and that shame for many years. Why is God against abortion? Because life is life. Unborn babies are alive. God said, I knew you and I formed you and you are alive. It's not a choice. It's alive. Did God say that? Yes, he did. Look at the next point. Did God really say that he made us male and female, right? We are living in a generation now that is questioning everything. And we have this transgender confusion that is swept across our nation, and we got boys that feel like they're girls, and girls that feel like they're boys, and, and I have these feelings, and I have these inclinations, and I have these leanings. I want you to understand something. Look what Genesis 1 says. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them. And we just read where David said, God, you formed me and knit me together in my mother's wound. And Jeremiah said, God, before you even formed me and knit me, you knew me and fashioned me and you anointed me and you called me. You are not an accident. And you are who you are biologically because God made you that way. You're a boy because you're biologically a boy. You're a girl because you're biologically a girl. Well, Pastor Keith, what about? All the feelings that people have. I'm in a boy body, but I feel like a girl. I'm in a girl body, but I feel like a boy. What about all those feelings? Let me tell you something. I do not doubt. Hey, I want you to hear me. I do not doubt the validity of their feelings. In homosexuals, homosexuals that feel attracted to the same gender. There you go. My mind went blank again. I don't doubt that they feel that attraction. And I don't doubt that they feel it since they were a little child. But how many of you understand that we are now not only formed and created by God, but we're born in a world that's under the curse of sin. And sin corrupts and sin perverts everything. Sin corrupts and sin perverts everything. So when I see a boy that says he feels like a girl, I understand what he feels is real feelings to him. And when I see a man that's attracted to another man, I understand what he feels is a real feeling. His feelings are real and genuine. They're just wrong. I know a lot of heterosexual people that feel attracted to the opposite sex, but how many of you know just because you think they're hot and good-looking doesn't mean you need to go jump in the bed with them? I mean, imagine what would happen if your five-year-old little child said, I just feel like killing people. I've never met a mama that had a five-year-old child that said, I just feel like killing people that say, well, baby, let me go buy you a gun because, you know, we need to nurture those feelings. If that five-year-old little boy said, I feel like killing people, mom and daddy would say, hey, something is wrong here. We're not going to kill nobody. We're going to get all the guns out of the house, and we're going to find out what's going on because there's something going on in the heart of this child that is not right. It is wrong. And the same is true with gender identity and gender confusion that's going on today. It's not right. It's wrong. Even though the feelings are real. I mean, let's just bring it home real, real, real simple. We've all felt like choking people. (laughs) Amen? And how many know just because you feel like choking them don't mean you should? Because if you did, none of us would be here today. We would all be dead. Feelings are feelings, but feelings are not God. God is God. And God's Word is true. And anything that I want and anything that I think and anything that I feel that contradicts the Word of God is wrong. And it is a trap of deception that the enemy uses to lead us into destruction. Look at that next point. Did God really say that there is only one way to heaven? I mean, Pastor Keith, we live in in such a big world today, and technology and all these things, and there's thousands of different religions. Isn't it narrow-minded for us to think that there's literally only one way to heaven? It's not narrow-minded. It's biblically-minded. It's biblically-minded. It's God-minded. Look what John 14, 6 Jesus said. Jesus told them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus never claimed just to be a prophet. He never claimed just to be a good teacher. He never claimed just to be a moral example. He claimed to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's who Jesus claimed to be. He said, I'm not a way, I am the way, and the only way you can go to God is through me. Did God really say that? Yes, He did. And you can't be saved through any other name other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now look at this last point with me, because I believe this is hopefully going to free us. Confusion, shame, guilt, and condemnation is the result of sin, not judgment. God is not judging us. He's trying to save us. Now in the world of transgender confusion, in the world of homosexuality, in the world of even fornication and adultery, we have these concepts and ideas that the people that are in those lifestyles live under this guilt and shame and condemnation, and they attribute, hear me, they attribute the guilt and the shame and condemnation that they feel to the fact that people are judging them. And I feel guilty and I feel ashamed because my parents are judging me. And I feel guilty and I feel ashamed because the church is judging me. And I feel guilty and I feel ashamed, and maybe even because God is judging me. But what I want you to see from Scripture is that confusion, guilt, shame, and condemnation is not the result of judgment. As a matter of fact, God's not judging you. One day He will judge you, but right now He is not judging you. He is extending His grace and His mercy to you. And John three seventeen says this, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn or judge the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now look with me in Genesis 3, 7. We read it at the beginning. It says, and at that moment when they sinned, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. They suddenly felt shame. The moment they sinned, they felt shame. Now listen, God wasn't even on the scene at this time. God hadn't come into the garden at this time. God had not judged them. God had not condemned them. God had not pointed a finger at them. Nobody else was around to condemn or judge them. But the moment they sinned, they felt shame. Let me give you some great news today. If you're battling in a life or a lifestyle— that contradicts the Word of God, you can be free today from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that you're living under. Statistics are alarming at how many homosexuals are are committing suicide. They're taking their lives. And many of them... We'll leave leave little letters or stories about the reason they took their life is because they couldn't live with the shame and the guilt and the judgment that they felt from everybody around them. But that's the lie of the enemy. That's the lie. The lie of the enemy is that you feel condemned and guilty and shameful because people are looking down on you. No, you feel condemned, guilty, and shameful because there is a God consciousness in your heart. You were created in the image and likeness of God, and there is something in you when you sin says, that's not right. There's something in you that says, you know, this is not what you were created for. And that guilt and that shame is the result of sin. Not the result of judgment. God is not judging you. He loves you. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but now follow after the Spirit. The good news of the gospel today is you don't have to be condemned, you don't have to live with guilt and shame and confusion. You can be free. You can be free because you can be forgiven, and you can be given a brand-new heart, and you can live a brand-new life, and you can walk and live in a life that connects you to God like never before. I want us just to bow our heads today. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're not battling any of the things that we talked about today, but you know you're living today under guilt and shame and condemnation, because even though you may not be walking in some of the things we talked about today, you know your heart is not right with God. And if you are battling with any of the things we've talked about today, I want you to understand God doesn't condemn you. You can be set free from homosexuality. You can be set free from the confusion of gender identity. You can be healed from the decision of having an abortion. God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to redeem and renew your heart. But this is what has to happen. Two things, really. We have to repent. Repent, the Bible says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We have to repent. The word literally simply means we got to change the way we think. we got to change the way we think. And then the scripture says this, if we confess with our mouth, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The word confess literally means to agree with God. I've got to change the way I think and I've got to agree with God that what God says is true. Not what I want, not what I think, not what I feel, but what God says, that's true. And if I'm willing to change the way I think and agree with God today and ask Jesus to save me and forgive me, then guess what? He will free you from the guilt and condemnation and shame that sin brings to all of us. So if that's you here today, I want to ask you to do something very bold. I say it every week, it's a simple thing because you do it every day, but it's a powerful thing because it's an act of faith. This is what I want to ask you to do. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I realize that if I were to stand before God right now and have to give an account for my life, I would spend eternity separated from God. But today I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want you just to stand up, just right where you're at, just stand to your feet. If you want to accept Jesus right now, as your Lord and Savior. I've never been saved. I've never trusted the Lord as my Lord and Savior, and I want to trust Him today. If that's you, we want you just to stand. It's a simple act of faith. Just to stand up. God's not against you. He's trying to save you. He loves you. He cares about you. God is not in heaven trying to figure out how He can get you. God is in heaven trying to figure out how He could save you. And He sent His Son Jesus to do that work. And if you want to accept Him today, you can do that right now. Just a simple act of faith. I want to stand up right now. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just stand. Father, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for loving us. I thank you that you didn't come to condemn us. You came to save us. I thank you that truth sets us free from the lies and deception of the enemy. And that your truth today empowers us to walk out the life that you've called us to live, which is life more abundant. So bless your people today, and bless us as we carry the wonderful message of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.